Hi, my name is Lana Lynn Marino, and thank you for joining me again for my podcast, Journeys to Wellness. My website, wellnessjourneys.co.uk, and you can go back into the catalogue of episodes that I've recorded. So today I'm talking about um, guilt versus pleasure, happiness versus pleasure why we carry guilt and in the first episode that the one that I did before this one I talked a lot about the different the definitive guide to guilt and I got to a place where um, guilt calls number two guilt for something you didn't do but you want to Um, that's what I'm going to talk about now and hopefully follow up with a nice meditation to help you become aware of how we can kind of move out of feeling guilty or acknowledging guilt but allowing the process of acknowledging guilt to take us and lead us to a sense of letting go our inner happiness and our inner contentment comes from actually being able to quantify why we feel negative emotions, why we feel guilt, things that have happened to us, especially in childhood. And I talk a lot about my childhood and things that happened to me and throughout my life, how I've processed it and come to an understanding on my personal journey of healing that we can, the story never changes. We can carry the story for the rest of our life, but we can actually become aware and we can find forgiveness and self-fulfillment in letting go of the guilt, mostly from the inner child. We're spiritual beings living the human experience, so it makes sense, right, that our journey in life, one of many, has to be towards wellness. All experiences, good and not so good, eventually lead us to arrive at an authentic self through the paths that we choose to take. Healing begins when we bravely choose a new path. So, guilt calls number two, something, um, feeling guilty for something you didn't do but want to. So, you're thinking about committing an act in which you deviate from your own moral code or you engage in behavior that is dishonest, unfaithful or illegal. Like Jimmy Carter, you may have mentally lusted after someone other than your spouse or long-term partner. This is a tough type of guilt to handle. It's true that you didn't actually commit the act, and so you're still sitting on the moral high ground. However, we all know that the very fact that you're contemplating an act that violates your own standards can be guilt-provoking. If you're beating yourself up for those forbidden and taboo thoughts, you can try the good old Freudian defense mechanism of repression, where you stop up the hidden desire, where you stop up the hidden desire or denial, where you don't acknowledge it. However, this is unlikely to lead to a satisfactory outcome because of defending against your feelings, you may actually fall prey to them. An approach called acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, provides some guidance for how you can cope with this type of guilt. You can recognize that, (coughs) excuse me, 
you can recognize that you have these illicit thoughts, accept them as part of who you are right now, and then commit yourself to changing your behavior so that you don't follow through on them. Rather than shove them under the surface, you can embrace your illicit thoughts. Guilt cause number three. Well, guilt for something you th- you think that you did, and this can we can, we can take this into um, when we have suffered abuse, physical, emotional, mental abuse. That can lead us to believe that we're not acceptable, we're not lovable, and above all, we're not deserving to be spiritual beings. We're not deserving of connecting to our spirituality. And this is one thing that leads a lot of people from my my own experience of understanding why people believe that they're not deserving of connecting to the God within, to their God truth. It's the reason why a lot of people will take substances, um, will take anything to help them to reach that level of euphoric, um, euphoric feeling of connected to the wholeness of life, where they believe that the only way to reach the God within is to meditate on something that. Um, by using a substance or anything that helps them to levitate to a higher level, to reach that that cornerstone of the higher self. And this is true to some part, but my own personal theory, and I don't really push this on people, but when we've been abused in, in any level, especially mentally, our cognitive brain is telling us one thing, Our critic is telling us another thing. Our self-judgment is telling us something else. If we're made to believe that we're a bad person, if we're made to believe that, oh, you're not right, you know, you're stupid, something's wrong with you. You know, if if we draw to us people that can soak up or they can tune into our vulnerability, that weak part of our of our mindset, then for sure, you know, that is mental abuse. We can be mentally abused by keep being told something about ourselves that can induce the, the cynical belief system about ourselves. We lose sight of the positive deserving mindset that tells us that nothing's wrong. You are a child of God, you are a child of the universe. We believe what we're told. If a a seed is planted at a very early age, then that seed of guilt can can stay there and to, to grow into a very strong tree that can either encourage us or it can make us believe that we cannot go any further than where we are right now. As cognitive theories of emotions tell us, much of the unhappiness we experience is due to our own irrational thoughts about situations. If you think you did something wrong, then you can experience almost as much guilt as if you actually committed the act, or even more, 
One fairly typical cognitive source of guilt is the magical belief that you can jinx people by thinking about them in a negative way. Perhaps you've wished that a romantic rival would experience some evil twist of fate. Should that evil twist of fate come to pass, you may at some level believe that it was due to your own vengeful wish. At some level, you know that you're being illogical, but it's hard to rid yourself completely of this belief. We also know that our memory for past events is highly flawed. It's possible for you to have done nothing wrong at all, but to re- to, but to misremember and think that you did, particularly when there are highly charged feelings involved. Coping with guilt. Before you start accusing yourself of wrongdoing, make sure that the wrongdoing actually took place. If you're distorting your recollection of events to make yourself seem more at fault than you are, it's time for a hearty dose of reality testing. How do we cope with guilt? Well, as I said, you know, the guilt is coming from a very deep place within a very early stage of life where we were made to believe and guilt was introduced to us in our younger stage, in our developing stage. And as as Freud points out, you know, the sexuality, if we walked into a room and we experienced sex going on between our parents, straight away we're made to believe that that is wrong if we're ushered out of the room. Sex can set up something in us or the early stages of understanding sex. It can set up in us um, a huge amount of different emotions, feelings and thoughts. What is it about sex that for some people is disgusting and yet for some people they find it just a natural process in our human survival and our human instinct. I was at my sister's house the other night and um, Teddy, who is becoming very sexually active um, at a very young age, I may add, um, was with his, his cousin, my, my sister's chihuahua, um, Twinkle. Now, Twinkle is, um, in dog years, 67. She's an old dog. So here we have Teddy, who is four months old, and he's quite happy chewing on his bone but all of a sudden little twinkle who has been brought to life simply because she come from an animal rescue place where she was highly abused as a, as a as a pup and she carries a lot of trauma and poor twinkle you know she's very sensitive very nervous and um You know, I've never known her to actually come to me or to anyone else for that matter, outside of the immediate family that she lives with, my my sister's family. But the other evening, um, for the first time, Twinkle came to life. Now, what happened between the two dogs was (laughs) Teddy was chewing on his bone and uh, we noticed that Twinkle was trying to mount him. Now, remember that Twinkle is a girl and Teddy is a boy. And the next thing we see is 
Twinkle is actually rubbing herself up against Teddy and she's getting quite a lot of pleasure out of it. So, of course, we're all sat around laughing. But when I look at it from that perspective, I've never seen Twinkle so happy. And yet family members were, were there saying, you know, oh, that's disgusting, that shouldn't be happening. But then when I look at the when I look at the, the, the beautiful pleasure that she's getting from actually maybe for the first time in a long time, feeling some sort of physical connection to another another animal. Where before, you know, she was she was abused by um, by people that really didn't allow her to have any happiness in her life. So I'm using that as that analogy of um, how we can find pleasure in something, how we can find pleasure that can lead to our natural happiness exploding in our mind. You know, I can't say for sure that, you know, Twinkle was thinking that, you know, this is a happy moment that I'm having here. But for sure, as long as we have breath, as long as our heart beats, as long as we're living, as long as we're connected to everything in life, then something awakens it up in us sooner or later, no matter what trauma that we, we've gone through, to help us to understand that not everyone is going to hurt us. Not everyone is going to repeat the complexity of the trauma that lies within us, the complexity of trauma that came about as a way of being mistreated and not being loved. Guilt calls number four that you didn't do enough to help someone. Perhaps you have a friend who is very ill or who is caring for, for an ill relative. You've given hours of your free time to help that person, but now you have other obligations that you absolutely must fulfill. Or perhaps your neighbors suffered a tragic loss, such as the death of a relative or a fire that destroyed their home. You've offered days and weeks of your free time, but again, you find you cannot continue to do so. So now the guilt starts to get to you and you try to desperately to figure out ways to help them despite the toll it's taken on you. Psychologists use the term compassion fatigue to capture this feeling of burnout. Though used typically to describe professional helpers, it can also occur among people who offer continued informal support to others in need. Add into the overall emotional drain of the situation is the guilt you overlay on top of the fatigue because you think you should be doing more. You can decide or not whether you want to continue to make the sacrifices needed to help these individuals. Just stop in there that um, to say <clears throat> in A Course of Miracles, um, there's no such thing as a sacrifice. And a sacrifice is a belief that is formed in the egocentric mindset that we believe we're making a sacrifice. A sacrifice um, is something that is there to remind us of guilt that we carry. I'm making a sacrifice, so that has to feed into the guilt mindset. 
sacrifice needed to help these individuals. However, it's important to separate your desire to help from the guilt you fear will overwhelm you if you don't. And this leads us to the heart chakra where the authenticity of compassion and giving can be often noticed when we feel that there's there's no other reason why I'm helping someone other than it's my duty from a godlike place within me where that connection that interconnection that we all are one comes up if i'm helping you from my heart if i'm giving love out from my heart then i'm not in touch with guilt i'm not doing it as a as a, a sacrifice Acting out of guilt can only drain you further and ultimately it makes you a less effective helper. And I can honestly, I can, I can relate to this because sometimes, you know, when I'm really busy with clients and I can see up to seven clients a day, but if I'm doing energy healing, you know, energy healing doesn't take from me. It actually adds to my life because I'm working from my heart center. If I'm counseling, which is coming from a, a more cognitive perspective, where I'm helping someone to come to an understanding about something, I'm not telling them what they should be doing, but I'm supporting them on their journey of trying to get them to see things from a different perspective. That can be quite draining. And sometimes by the end of the day, especially with mental health issues, you know, I can feel quite drained. And I take ownership of the fact that sometimes, you know, I might have to counsel a client or say, I, I can't do any more today. And by doing that, what I'm doing is I'm being open and honest, but I'm also kind of recognizing that my energy levels are drained and self-love to me is much more important than giving love to someone else first. If I'm giving out and I'm draining my resources and giving to someone else, then before I'm giving to myself, is that right? No, it's it's not because it really defeats the whole per, um, purpose of giving authentically. We give what we can. Brother Teresa gave authentically. She didn't wear um, nice clothes. She didn't think about herself. She was a selfless disciple of of the world. She gave to the poor in Calcutta. She manifested the God light within her to help her authentically get through life. Her life didn't matter. And whatever she did, she did through authenticity. And she never felt guilty when it was time for her to eat. She never felt guilty when it was time for her to stop for today and go and meditate and go in prayer. That was her fueling that was her fueling up for the next day and i think we can think of that as a way of learning how we can refill ourselves up with the passion of life when we feel that our cup is filled to the the brink of compassion and love then we can go again when we feel 
guilt. The only way to cure ourselves, um, the only way to cure yourself of survivor guilt is to remind yourself of how proud, glad, and invested those who love and care for you are. Remind yourself, as hard as it might be, that your own failure will not help bring someone back to life, nor will it make others who love you feel better about themselves. You need to gain your inspiration from the knowledge that your efforts are a tribute to them. Don't get down on yourself if you can't reach your loftiest goals or the ones they have or had for you, but at least know that you're giving yourself the shot at success that they would want you to have. Letting go of guilt and putting yourself first is not a bad thing. When you let go of guilt, of feeling the guilt when someone has died, someone has passed on to another realm, and you feel guilt, I should have been there. I should have been beside their their side. What we're doing is we're carrying that guilt through our grief. We're punishing ourselves. And that's not that's not what we should be doing. Ideally, it's not what we we are about. There's no doubt that guilt is a complex and interesting emotion. And it can even cause you to spend more than you want to or can when buying gifts for your friends and family. You can't live a completely guilt-free life, but you can keep it with manageable bounds. Guilt can also help you gain greater self-understanding by helping you to recognize when, in fact, you've done someone else harm. Guilt in and of itself isn't a destructive emotion. If you let it become all-consuming, however, guilt can get the best or it can get the worst from you. This came from Susan Krauss Whitbourne, PhD, and she's a professor emeritus of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. Her latest book is The Search for Fulfillment. You can find her um, University of Massachusetts profile, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So the definitive guide to guilt, and um, I've kind of covered a lot in these two episodes around guilt. And it comes to what do we do? when we look at the seven key differences um, of pleasure versus happiness. Pleasure is short-lived, happiness is long-lived. Pleasure is visceral, happiness is ethereal. Pleasure is taken, happiness is given. Pleasure can be achieved with substance, happiness cannot be achieved with substances. Pleasure is experienced alone, Happiness is experienced in social groups. The extremes of pleasure all lead to addiction, whether they be substances or behaviors. Yet there's no such thing as being addicted to too much happiness. Finally, and most importantly, pleasure is tied to dopamine, the pleasure biochemical neurotransmitter, and happiness is tied to serotonin, the happiness biochemical neurotransmitter. Guilt falls into the area of pleasure. 
We can seek pleasure and we can enjoy pleasure, but it doesn't last. The pleasure that we take in letting go of guilt, even just for a short time, escaping from the reality of the guilt. What do we feel when we choose to acknowledge the guilt and acknowledge that our guilt is coming from a very deep place? a very deep place of pain where trauma resides in a very cushioned avenue of life, life from our past. I'm going to be doing a meditation in the next and final episode of um, guilt versus our spirituality and happiness versus pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Lana Lynn Marino. And you can find me on uh, Spotify, anchor.fm slash Lynn dash Marino. If you want to send me a message, you can message me also on um, my Facebook page, Wellness Journeys. My Twitter, Twitter account is Wellness Journeys. Instagram is Journeys to Wellness. Take care and have a beautiful day. And remember... That life doesn't have to be perfect to be beautiful. Take care and as always, much love.